This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning I'm speaking with author Jay Maletsky. Jay, good morning. Good morning, Eliza. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. So I want to give a little background. I received a call from a family member of yours um, not too long ago. Uh, It's your dad, yeah? Um, So we can give um, Marv a shout out. um, My my biggest fan. Biggest fan. um, He had, I think, came across our podcast and is clearly extremely proud of you and your um, the the books that you've written. And he asked me if, you know, I would be interested in maybe reading some of them and um, that you had a book coming out or a book out specifically addressing autism. So in true dad support ways, he immediately got everything in the mail and I received your books a few days later and I read them and I was duly impressed. Oh, thank you. Um, absolutely. And so I'm really glad that, that Marv introduced us. So before we get into the specific books that we're going to talk about and highlight, I think, the masterpiece, just because this program is really about um, autism spectrum disorder, I'd love for you to just give us a little of your background. Who are you? Have you always been an author, professional? I know you have a daughter who's your inspiration for a lot of your work. So maybe talk about any any of that. Sure. So going back a ways, when I first graduated college back in 1994, I was one of the early adopters of Photoshop, which obviously everybody uses. Now. Oh, yeah. Now, this is back in Photoshop 2.0 days. Right. And not a lot of people had, had even heard of it, much less knew how to use it. And I'm not really a computer guy myself, but uh, for whatever reason, I got into marketing. And for whatever reason, uh, I just took to Photoshop. I just understood it implicitly. And long story short, um, some people started to recognize that I had a little bit of, of understanding of it. And I got a phone call from a large publisher. I got, I got a phone call from a large publisher, Pearson Education, asking if I'd be mm-hmm. interested in writing a book on how to use Photoshop. So, Oh, wow. I, I wrote, Not everybody has that story. <laughs> no, and I, I wrote a few early books on, on how to use the, the program and how to do graphic design. And that ended up moving over to another publisher called Cengage. And we, as, as my marketing agency grew, uh, I began to write books about marketing and brand building and advertising. And overall, I, I wrote 12 books uh, through traditional publishers on everything from graphic design to entrepreneurship and marketing and everything in between. Were these mostly textbooks? Actually, I, I did write two college textbooks, but most of them were all for consumer use. You'd find them on the, the shelves at Barnes and & Noble and, okay. and back then Borders and wherever else. And you know, they, they all actually did pretty well, but at a certain point, I just kind of got to a point where I, I no longer had any more of those books in me. They're very, very difficult to write, uh, three, 400 pages at a time, and by the time they actually hit shelves, most of everything that you're saying is outdated. You, know, you write a book on social right, media because marketing. because it's sort of, it's like a how-to, and especially if it involves anything technological. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. You okay. know, I, I wrote a, a college textbook on on social media marketing, and most of the most of a whole chapter was all talking about MySpace. By the time the the books hit the schools, MySpace was gone, and Facebook was was a thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, they get outdated very very quickly, and I, that gets uh, it gets tiring to write a book that people just can't read because it's simply not relevant any longer. Mm-hmm. So, I, I stopped writing for a little bit, and about seven years ago, I had my daughter Bria Page, and my, my she's an awesome awesome kid, very very happy. But she was she was born when she. A couple Days after she was born, she had a brain injury, so she had cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. She had a, a, grain, a grade four bilateral brain bleed, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, and we, you know, we were told that, um, you know, my ex-wife and I were told that she would never have any quality of life. She would never recognize anybody. We would never hear her laugh. And that is so far away from the truth. She is a, mm-hmm. an extraordinarily happy kid. She knows who everyone is around her. She knows how to tease. She knows how to play. Uh, she's still nonverbal. She'll, she has four or five words. Uh, you know, she has yes, no, and ice cream, which is really all that I think that matters. I, I mean, what more do you need? Exactly. Really? As long as you have ice cream, what else, yeah. what else do you need in life? Uh, she's taking steps in her, her walker. And every day we see her making Congratulations. Some, you know, some, That's great. Thank you. Yeah, she's, she's a great, great kid. She's super well-behaved. She's just a, a fun kid to be around. And I, you know, I think that there's a lot of th- reasons why her development has continued. But one of the things that I've always pointed to is that each night that I, I, I put her to bed, I would read her a story. And I think that reading has helped her cognitively develop quite a bit. And, you know, being a having a, a past in writing and also having a past in marketing, it's always been something that writing, writing books has always been something that I've been very drawn to. And like I said, I, I just didn't have another large adult book inside me anymore. But as I'm reading some of these books that I was reading in Barnes, uh, buying in Barnes & Noble uh, to my daughter, I was thinking, you know what, I, I can, I could maybe take a shot at doing this. And I know everybody seems to think that, but I guess because I've had a background in writing, I thought maybe I would have a shot. So I started to put together a book on um, about my daughter. And I started, as I started to look at other books about, for and about kids with disabilities, I became very, very discouraged. Uh, I, became, I started to realize that all of the books that were out there, most of the books that were out there, were so heavy-handed and they were so obvious that they were depressing. You know, you see a – I don't want to see – I don't want to read my daughter a book about it that features a kid in a wheelchair. We I, – I live that life with her every day. That's right. not an escape. Most of the – a lot of the books seem to portray these kids as being able to have a great life in their imagination. Well, I want my, my daughter to have a great life in, in reality, mm-hmm. not in just in her imagination. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look at her disabilities as superpowers. I don't want to glaze over any anything. I want it – but at the same time, I also want to provide a message that was hopeful. To let right. families know that, you know what, you can get a, a bad diagnosis and things can still be really great on the other end of it. Well, she's already and, proven that whoever that doctor was. Exactly. Very, it, very much wrong. Exactly. And that wasn't just a doctor. That was that was all the doctors and all the nurses. Mm. And she's proven everybody wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if, you know, it's, it's something that you don't want to give up on. You don't want to quit trying. Um, so I, but I started to think that in order to get that message across, it had to be more metaphoric. Uh, it's almost like, like. Hiding the peas in the mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, you get your kids to eat something that they don't want by hiding it into something that's going to taste good. Mm-hmm. So, how can I write a book that was hopeful and about my daughter without actually being heavy-handed about it? So, I, I wrote Ricky the Rock that couldn't roll, and the, the basic synopsis of it is: it's a whole hill of of rocks that were all round, so they were able to roll around freely, and except for Ricky, Ricky can't roll with them because he's flat on one side. So he's he represents a child who can't walk, and all of the rocks they all try to help him to learn how to roll. Mm-hmm. So they represent of the family, the friends, doctors, therapists, teachers, who all come together every day to help my daughter learn how to how to how to move. Mm-hmm. And some of the, in, uh, in in the book, they all try a few different things, and they don't work. Much like not every therapy is going to work for everybody, but in the end, they end up helping Ricky to roll like the rest of them. And I, to me, that was my message of hope to tell people: you know, listen, don't give up. Yes, you're going to try therapies that aren't going to work. You are going to take steps backwards. You are going to feel fatigued and like things are are simply not working at all. But these kids are are worth putting your effort and energy and life into because they can get better. They can be happy kids. They can lead good, happy lives. Right. I, I think that's um, 
first of all, you, you used the word escape a little while ago when you were talking about some of the more heavy-handed or even depressing books that you were finding when you were first considering getting involved in this. And I love that, the idea that um, if, you, if you think about any book that has that has just sort of intrigued you and made it so you can't put it down, right? You hear that all the time. I just couldn't put it down. I had to read and, you know, I couldn't stop. My son, my son is eight. He, um, he's learning in his classroom right now what it means to, quote, get lost in his book. And I right. love that his teacher is teaching him that that's a thing, that if it's a really good book and it's a good fit for you, you should get lost in it. So I like that you use the word escape because, and, and that you talked about, you know, having an imagination is great, but expecting that somebody with a disability has to live their whole life or have all their highs in life be in their imagination is, is, is rough. That's not, that's not a positive thought. It should be an in the moment living thing that, that, you know, you, you enjoy. Um, but the idea of escaping into story is a wonderful kind of combination of both. Right. And I think, I think what I see a lot is that as soon as somebody puts a character in a book that's got CP or in a wheelchair, the the story becomes about the wheelchair or about sure. the, the gay trainer. You know, I, I've, I watch, um, I don't know if, any, if you're familiar with Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, the, yeah. the, the yep. spinoff from Mr. Roger. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great cartoon. My, my daughter, one of the cartoons my daughter just loves to watch. And, you know, she can sit there for hours and watch. And we don't, we don't let her sit there for hours, <laughs> but she could if, she, if, yeah. if we let her. And what I like is that there is a, a character that, they, that comes on every now and then. I think her name is Chrissy. And she's got CP. She's got the gay trainer. Or she's got the, the um, crutches. But they don't really ever make it about the CP. There's one episode where they talk about the crutches. So people understand what it is. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, she just comes and she plays with the kids. And she right. plays in her own way. But they, they, never, they don't make the stories about that. And I think that what authors and, and you know, independent authors especially who are not being published through traditional means – what they, they everyone they have a story and they want to tell a story about their their own lives. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that a lot of these books aren't really stories for the sake of reaching an audience. They're stories more f- to, to act as an outlet for the authors because they have some emotional breakdown that they're having, and and they have they need an emotional release, so they write it down in a story. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that for the readers, it's not. A happy or positive or engaging story. And at the end of the day, you still want people to be able to read this. You still want them to pick up the book, read it, enjoy it, get something positive from it, mm-hmm. and want to read it again. Right. You know, so it still has to follow the same basic rules of a story. Right. I mean, it's not, I think what you're saying also is that it's not necessarily an educational book. There's some aspects of it that will help people better understand certain dynamics between people. But in terms of, but, but it's, I think what you're doing, just having read several of your books, is you're, you're giving people the opportunity to read something that's entertaining. And that is, and that's interesting and funny and, um, and also loving. And before we take a quick break, I wanted to mention something that stood out to me that you didn't mention when you were talking about Ricky the Rock that wouldn't roll or couldn't roll? Couldn't roll. Couldn't roll. Um, Great book. Loved it. Great illustrations also. So shout out to your illustrator. I think what came through to me in that book also was the importance of looking at at initial reaction and initial misunderstanding or even initial judgment as a longer view of this is an opportunity. People can change. Rocks can change. There are some comments in there in the initials, you know, the, the, the rocks that were initially, you know, not understanding why Ricky wasn't rolling that provided an opportunity for, for learning. But again, in a story format, in a way that really felt very comfortable in terms of, you know, there should always be some, some obstacle or something in a story that gets resolved Correct. and gets understood. And, and that flows for me, 
as a reader, it, it really made a lot of sense. And it didn't it wasn't a turn off. It wasn't sort of, well, that those are the bad, you know, judgmental, mean rocks. It was more like we don't understand. So we might say something that doesn't make sense or or maybe comes off as as, you know, not not the right thing to say in the moment. But at the end, there's that sense of, well, what we really want to do is just play. Right. So let's find a way. But, and that's all. That's all very realistic. I think. I mean, I, do I know. Too. We're, I know we're talking about about rocks, and rocks <laughs> obviously aren't, aren't alive. But aside from that, there's a, there's there's the reality there. I, I've had you know this Ricky the Rock had um, had has had 230 reviews so far on, on Amazon. Almost all of them have been five star reviews. I've had one one star review where the person said this is a, a terrible book, and to have real inclusion, all the rocks should have just sat around Ricky and had a moss growing contest. And my thought to that is, A, that's not reality. The, the world does not change everything it's doing because of one person. It's just not going to happen. That's not right. the world we live in. And B, that's not – that doesn't make for a good story. Right. You have to have some sort of conflict and you have, to have, you have to have your main character go through a little bit of hell in order for the resolution to have an emotional payoff at the end. Yeah. I think, I think you really did it. I, I, I really um, – I, I think that's great. And that – well, one review – out of so many, not right. so bad. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about the masterpiece and your other books and, and some things that are coming out this year. This is One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. For those diagnosed with autism, the right educational, vocational, and residential programs can optimize their quality of life. At Anderson Center for Autism, we offer all of that and more. We've got programs rooted in evidence-based practices that unlock potential. And we also have a palpable spirit of community that will make you and your loved one with autism feel right at home. Schedule a tour to see for yourself. Call 845-889-4034 or visit andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism, and I'm speaking this morning with Jay Maletsky, who is an author of several uh, several books that we're discussing today. Jay, again, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, so we just learned a lot about your background, your daughter, who sounds lovely and fun and happy, and um, I love that, that, she, that, that one of her few words, but maybe a growing number of words is ice cream. Two of those words, actually, that's, that makes me happy. That makes me happy. Um, and I hope that means that she gets a lot of ice cream she when, she, she, when she uses those words. <laughs> so you've been through quite a lot as a parent. You have an interesting background professionally. We talked a little bit about your approach um, and the reason why you chose to get into writing these types of, of books. Let's hone in on the one that really grabbed my attention the most, which is called The Masterpiece. Um, this is a book that is um, in many ways about, I guess, about autism. I don't really want to pigeonhole it too much. How would you describe the masterpiece and how did you capture it? I, I feel that you captured it so beautifully. So how did you how did you do this and why did you do this? Sure. So I think a uh, probably a good starting point is to go back to how the book originated. Yeah. So as it as it happened, you know, we were talking about Ricky the Rock before, and someone over at the Reed Academy. Reed Academy is a, a great school in Oakland, New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, for kids with with autism. And I happen to grow up in in Oakland, New Jersey. And one of the uh, investors in my book company has he's, he was one of the original um, people who, who got the funding together to build the school in the first place. And he's got two sons who have autism, mm-hmm. and they both went to the school. 
And we have been working on some ideas for trying to help kids with disabilities to to get work after they graduate out of these schools. Uh, and as it happens, the Reed Academy is right across the street from the school where my my daughter goes to, or okay. she will go to next year. And we were in the uh, long story short, we were in the in in Reed, and we were talking to some people. And as we were walking out, someone who works at the Reed Foundation, which is the the fundraising arm mm-hmm. of, of Reed, came out, and someone who we ended up going to high school with and didn't even know that, who that worked there. Mm-hmm. And she had read Ricky the Rock, and didn't realize that I had written it, and asked me would I be interested in writing a children's book for them to help teachers of developmentally typical children, K through three, introduce introduce the concept of autism to their their students. Perfect. So I said, you know what, let's let's, let's do that. But if we're going to do that, I'm I'm totally on board, but I'm not going to write a book that mentions the word autism. It's not going to mention the word spectrum. Uh, It should be able to be read on a level where if someone doesn't know that's what it's about, they won't know that's what it's about. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I, I don't really like to be, like as I mentioned before, I don't like to be heavy-handed. I don't like to hit anyone over the head with something. Okay. So they, they, they all agreed that, that was a fine approach. And I started thinking about how could I really do this. And I, I don't have a background in autism from a – I, I don't have a child who is, who is autistic. So I had to do a little bit of research. I, I read about – I understood a lot about the behavioral aspects of autism. And I started speaking with families that I knew who had kids who had, who, who had autism. Most of the families that I spoke to had kids that were on a part of the spectrum that really, they really, those kids probably really won't have an independent life one day. They probably will always be living with their their families. Right. Okay. And I went into this thinking that we were going to be looking for a book about inclusion. And none of the families that I spoke with were interested in inclusion. Actually, one of them, one of the dads said it best. I think he said, "Look, my my kid is in high school, and when the kids that are in his high school class go to a basketball game, I don't expect them to call my son to go with them. When they go to a party, I don't expect them to call my son to go with them. If they did, I would probably find that a little suspicious, and I would think something's up." We're not, I'm not really looking for that. What I'm looking for is for them to understand what autism is, for them to accept him the way he is, and for them to be kind to him. Mm-hmm. And every single one of the families I spoke to seemed to echo that same sentiment without being prompted by each other. So I started to walk away from the idea of inclusion, starting to gravitate more towards acceptance and understanding and kindness. So I started thinking, how can I do this where I'm displaying multiple aspects of personality? Because I know that every kid with autism is going to be different. And there's a whole bunch of different types of of behavioral aspects to it. So I needed a a very large cast of characters to work with. And I started thinking that paintbrushes would make sense because they all can come together. Every every paintbrush alone can paint a line or or something. But when they all come together as a community, then they can paint one masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And even with with things going a little bit awry, it can still come together. So I created these these paintbrush characters and as the paintbrush characters were working towards making a, a painting one of the paintbrushes Estelle um, she stops painting she's not painting at all and she's just humming one single note and the other paintbrushes are already they've already experienced that with her and they give her some paint and say look if you'd like to join us we'd love to have you you know, because that's that's one of the behavior traits you might see in someone. Sure, obviously. So, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't they don't make her feel badly about it. They don't push her to do anything she's not ready to do. They let her do her thing. And in the end of the, the book, her one note song becomes almost like their theme song. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had had Byron, who is just painting in circles. He's going around and around. Another behavioral aspect. And for a little while, they include him by all the other paintbrushes. They don't do it forever, but for, they take a couple minutes and they all paint circles as well with him to make him feel included. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, you've got one final paintbrush who just starts screaming out of frustration. And what is the, the natural reaction? The natural reaction to that is that all the other paintbrushes are, are frightened of it. And Reese, who is, who is a de facto teacher of the group, takes them all aside and said, listen, it's okay. It's just, it's just the way he's expressing himself. 
you don't have anything to be worried about. And next time, you don't have to be, be worried or, or, or scared at all. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just how he's expressing himself. Mm-hmm. And in the end, their paintbrushes, their, their, their painting becomes a masterpiece, including all of the circles that they all painted and including the angry green line that, that the final yep. paintbrush had painted. And kind of shows that it takes a community to create a masterpiece. And that community mm-hmm. may have kids who are autistic or kids who have CP or kids who have any other sort of developmental delays or challenges. Yeah, I loved it. I, I love it, and I, you know, I'll just take it one step further and say, and without that angry green line, you know, that that green line wouldn't have been part of the masterpiece, and that right. green line might resonate with a tremendous number of people who were coming to look at the masterpiece or want to put the masterpiece up in their house or want to experience it, you know, anywhere. It's. Um, I was really struck by this because I will be honest, it was hard for me when when your dad first told me a little bit about the book. I couldn't I just was like, I wonder what that's going to be like. I was really intrigued, wasn't sure what to expect. Um, once again, I thought the illustrations were were really great because sometimes um, I found that this for, for some people with autism, there is definitely a level of overstimulation, right? You can see like too much color, too much activity, too much noise. And, and you see people needing to make accommodations to, to limit that. But I think sometimes we also make the mistake of thinking that all people with autism are going to be overwhelmed by color or by pictures or, you know, imagery or anything. What I, one of the things I loved about the masterpiece was that the illustrator here really had, I think, a lot of fun with it Absolutely. and went very colorful, very age appropriate for what you described, like a K to, to three level um, classroom, maybe. And um, and it's a book that you want to keep turning the pages to see what happens. And I also think that your research that you did do was spot on. You know, maybe you didn't have to research for three years in libraries and learn all of the clinical aspects of autism, but what the people that you spoke to clearly gave you enough of a sense of some of the things that I think will resonate with a lot of families and a lot of, especially maybe young siblings of somebody sure. who engages in exactly those behaviors. I've talked to enough siblings on this podcast and, and uh, on, on in person who've told me stories about what it was like to invite their friends over to their house, what their their brother or sister on the spectrum and it was so much from what you're like what you're describing that you know the best friends were the ones who would say all right let's all spin for a little while and then right. we'll go back outside and we'll play or we'll go do something else but it, there's nothing wrong with hanging out and spinning for a, a little while right, that's exactly. what, if that was that's what works and i think that what hopefully your books will help um in our society really is to bring people a little closer to that mindset that there are times to take action, there are times to do clinical interventions, there's cl- times to do that sort of serious, more heavy-handed approach, and there's a lot of time to just encourage kindness and openness and understanding, like you said, sure, and and not a desire to always change somebody. And, and I think you know, like like my other books. This book, I think, it, it still puts the characters in the story first. You can still read this, and just, it's just a fun story to read. I it think. is, and you know, it, it's the, the pictures are fun to look at, but. You know, it, and I, so I'm, I'm all for having a lesson and a moral, but I, I think it has to be a fun book to read. You're not yeah. going to get the real lesson if you don't enjoy reading the book. No. And I think that so many kids now have um, have other have, have other kids in their classes who have autism mm-hmm. or have any sort of disability that this book will will you know help them not only to enjoy enjoy the, just reading, but it'll help them to understand. Okay, this is what is happening when my my uh, this other student in my class show dis- displays a certain type of behavior that might seem mm-hmm. a little bit out of the ordinary. Right. And again, that that key phrase um, that I think is worked into a lot of your work is you don't have to be scared. Right. 
Um, right. You know, that just because something looks looks is surprising or maybe loud or different or unexpected, um, your reaction doesn't have to be fear. It can it can also be I'm not sure what's going on. Let me try to find out. So I think it's beautiful. I want to give a little bit of time. We're, we're running low on time. I know you have three new books coming out this year, 2020. So can you give us a sense of, of first of all, where to go to get your books, which we hope a lot of people do, and also what's coming soon? Sure. So right now, all my books can be got, can be purchased on Amazon. Okay. Uh, and we're looking to expand that later on this year into Target and other stores. Great. Um, we will in 2020. We'll be also uh, putting out Patrick Picklebottom and the Penny Book, uh, <laughs> which is a book about the love of literacy and the love of, of reading over the love of electronics. Uh, Ooh, good one. <laughs> that book came across very, very quickly when I was doing an assembly for Ricky the Rock, and I asked kids, give me an example of a time when you tried hard to do something and, and you finally succeeded. One kid raised his hand, and he was talking about soccer, which I usually get. But this one kid was saying, I couldn't score a goal in soccer, so I kept clicking and clicking and clicking until I finally got it. And I, it took me a second. I'm like, are you talking about video soccer? You're in second grade. You should be going out and playing real soccer. Oh, wow. And so that, that immediately wanted me to put, put me in my head yeah, to write a yeah, book about, yeah. about reading. I've got another rock book called Do Pebbles Eat Chili, but the one that I'm probably most looking forward to is a book called The Molding of Clay, which is the sequel to the masterpiece. And it's, it's in the same collection. You don't have to read one before the other. But basically, it's the same paintbrush characters. And this time, they get a visit from a large block of clay from the other side of the studio who doesn't really understand what autism is. And he doesn't understand why these kids are behaving a little bit differently. And so by the end of the book, just like clay can get molded physically, he not only gets molded physically, but he also gets molded the way he thinks and the mm-hmm. way he understands uh, the people around him. Great. So that's, that's also coming out. Well, we will look forward to that. Um, those three new books and um, again very easy to find Amazon uh, Jay Maletsky it's spelled M-I-L-E-T-S-K-Y and um, just want to say thank you for coming on the show thank you for doing what you're doing and, and really I encourage everybody just read these books they're they're fun they're easy to read especially if you have children if you're in a classroom if you have grandchildren these are great gifts great things to great message and, and really fun and quite an escape when you just need to sit down with a good book thank you very much it's been a this has been great. I appreciate being here. All right. Thanks. Jay Maletsky, uh, author. Check him out on Amazon.com. And this is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 